we're going to continue, we're actually wrapping up our series today, FAQ, and the whole idea behind it is the why behind what it is that we do as a church. And today I was actually going to talk about kids ministry, why do we do kids ministry, what happens in that, something I've been wanting to do for a while actually, but after last week's message I had a lot of good feedback, I also had a lot of people asking me questions when we're teaching about the, the generosity behind giving. A lot of people came up and asked me, about, so what is tithing? How does that tie into everything? I thought, I've created a lot of questions, so I better just go ahead and spend this week uh, addressing that issue so that you guys know what it is that the Bible says about tithing. So for me growing up, again, I'm drawing on a lot of my experiences growing up in the church and not really knowing why we did any of the things we did. We just did them because we were Methodists. So if you did anything as a Methodist, it was that you followed protocol. You had method for everything that you did. And... Um, my parents gave me an allowance as a kid. I started having to do some household chores. And as I would do those things, then I would earn money for doing that, up to a dollar a week. My parents were pretty generous. And they gave me this dollar a week if I completed all of my chores. And it's, you know, don't spend it all in one place type of a thing. And so I had a budget that they created for me that I had to follow. And the first thing that I had to do was 10% of that dollar became the offering that I would give at church that week. And then I had to save, I think it was 25%, and then I could do whatever I wanted with the you know, other 75 cents that I had left over. Uh, so I got a pack of Skittles every week, and that was, that was it. Got cavities, which ended up costing a lot more than the Skittles themselves. So I guess I got my parents back. They paid a lot for me. So... What happens is I just know, okay, I give my tithe, that's, I'm giving 10% of this dollar that I'm earning, and I did that. My allowance got bigger as I grew older, and then eventually I got no allowance and I had to get a job. And uh, that was a rude wake-up for me. Like, what, I don't just get money for existing anymore? What's going on, parents? You guys are cruel. So I started working, but I still followed the budget that my parents had set up for me, and they wanted to teach me to be fiscally responsible. And then I got into college, and then your parents aren't there anymore to make sure you're doing things like flossing every morning and every night, and it's up to you to have taken these things that they've instilled in you and to carry them on. Well, for me, I didn't really understand what tithing was about and why we did it, so I just kind of threw it out the window when I got into college because I had to pay for school and everything else, and I didn't understand why we tithed. And so I wanted to, to spend this morning talking about what tithing is, since there are a lot of questions about it, and why it is that we do it. So to begin with, and this was a shocker for me, I remember in college when I was doing my Bible classes and I discovered this, the word tithe actually means a tenth. So what is tithing? Number one, tithing is a tenth. The word literally means one-tenth of something. As I just thought that 10% was a magic number that my parents pulled out of the air, but it was actually the amount of the tithe. And the first time that we see the idea of the tithe in the Bible is with Abraham. What's happened is his nephew Lot was kidnapped by some kings that were in the neighboring area. When Abraham finds out about this, he's a man full of boldness and courage. And so he says, I'm going to round up my servants you know, the people that are doing things like making candles for me and cleaning carpets and stuff like that. And we're just going to go off and we're going to attack these kings. Now, to me, that seems like a really bad idea going against a trained army with your household servants. But like I said, he's a courageous man. So he goes out there against these kings, catches up to them, and is actually able to militarily defeat these kings with his band of servants. He recaptures his cousin Lot and all of his family, and he actually takes all of the plunder from these kings. I mean, it's an amazing story. So as he's heading back home after this incredible victory with all of the plunder from the war, he's going by Salem, 
And this really interesting character named Melchizedek, who's the high priest of God, comes out and meets him. And he brings him wine and bread. Now what's interesting about this is that Melchizedek it says that he has no lineage. That means he doesn't have a mom and a dad, and it means that he doesn't have any kids. What a lot of the scholars think is that this was a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. Because he's the high priest of God, he's the prince of Salem, which, or he's the priest of Salem, which means peace, the prince of peace. So either he was Jesus appearing before the incarnation, or it was someone that was a Christ type of a figure. And what does he bring him? He brings him wine and bread. Communion. So it's a really interesting thing. And this is what Abraham does. When Melchizedek, the priest of God, comes out and meets him and gives him the wine and bread, he says, I'm going to take a tenth of everything that God has given me, and I'm going to give it to you, the priest. Because he recognizes he had no right winning this battle. There was no way that this should have occurred. This was the miraculous hand of God. This was God's provision for him. So he says, in honor of that, I'm giving you a tenth of everything that you've given to me. Now, the next time that we see the tithe is about 100 years later, and it's with Abraham's grandson, Jacob. Now, Jacob was not a great man at this point. He lied, deceived, and cheated to steal his brother's birthright and blessing. And this leads his brother to being a little bit upset with him to the point of where he's planning on killing him as soon as their dad passes away. So Jacob decides, I need to get out of here or else things are going to go really poorly for me. My whole family hates me. My brother wants to kill me. So he's running away from his family to preserve his own life. And he has this incredible encounter with God as he's fleeing. And it says in Genesis chapter 28, verses 10 through 12. I'm sorry, I forgot to tell you guys where to turn to in your Bibles. Genesis chapter 28. And it says this. Meanwhile, Jacob left Beersheba and traveled toward Haran. At sundown, he arrived at a good place to set up camp and stopped there for the night. Jacob found a stone to rest his head against and lay down to sleep. As he slept, he dreamed of a stairway that reached from the earth up to heaven, and he saw the angels of God going up and down the stairway. At the top of the stairway stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather Abraham, and the God of your father Isaac. The ground you are lying on belongs to you. I am giving it to you and your descendants. Your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. They will spread out in all directions to the west, to the east, to the north, and to the south. And all the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. What's more, I am with you, and I will protect you wherever you go. One day I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have finished giving you everything I have promised you. Then Jacob woke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I wasn't even aware of it. Have you guys ever had one of those moments where God just opens your eyes to see that he was there and you had no idea? But he was also afraid and said, What an awesome place this is. It is none other than the house of God, the very gateway to heaven. The next morning, Jacob got up very early. He took the stone he had rested his head against, and he set it upright as a memorial pillar. Then he poured olive oil over it, and he named the place Bethel, which means house of God, although it was previously called Luz. Then Jacob made this vow. If God will indeed be with me and protect me on this journey, and if he will provide me with food and clothing, and if I return safely to my father's home, then the Lord will certainly be my God, and this memorial pillar I have set up will become a place for worshiping God, and I will present to God a tenth of everything he gives me. Now, Jacob, the thief, 
the liar, the runaway, has God appear to him and tell him, this place that you are running away from, I'm giving to you. He says, you're running away from your family alone. You're completely by yourself now, but I'm going to give you a family so big that it's going to cover the earth like dust covers the earth. And for those of you that are in charge of dusting in your home, you know that there is a lot of dust. This is a ton of descendants that he's talking about. And he says, you might be despised and hated and even reviled by your family right now, but I'm going to give you a family that is going to bless every other family on the face of this earth. And finally, he wraps it up by saying, I'm with you. I'm never going to leave you until I have completed everything that I said I would do. That's a pretty incredible promise. And you think, why would God choose Jacob to do all of this stuff through? Nobody's more surprised by this than Jacob. He's like, really? Why are you, do you know what I've done, God? Are you aware of why it is that I'm running away? But here's the thing. We don't earn, we don't choose God and his blessings and his calling on our life. We're the recipients of his mercy, his grace, and his choosing for us. Yeah. And so this is how Jacob responds. He wakes up and he, and he builds an altar and he says, I'm going to remember what it is that God has done. So I'm erecting this altar so that every time I see it, I remember God. And it's also a testament to other people when they see it. And then he makes this vow to God. And he says, God, if you are going to fulfill all of these things, if you're really going to do all of the things that you've said that you will do, then I, I'm going to follow you. You will be my God. I'm going to put my faith and my trust in you, and I'm going to worship you, and I'm going to give you thanks for all of the blessing that you pour out on me, and I'm going to show you that I do trust you to bring me into the promises you've made me and to be my provision by giving you 10% of all of the increase that you give me. And that's the idea of the tithe again. He says, God, I'm going to tithe. I'm going to give you 10% of everything that you give me because I recognize that this isn't my own doing. What you've called me to and what you're giving me is beyond what I can do on my own. This is from you. So I'm choosing to worship you for that. I'm choosing you to thank, to thank you for that. And I'm showing that I'm putting my trust and my faith in you for the fulfillment of this promise by doing this. And then we fast forward 500 years about. Jacob's family has moved down to Egypt. They were very prosperous. God blessed them incredibly. And then you guys know the story of Moses. They become enslaved, and Moses um, leads them out, and God says, hey, I'm, I'm choosing you guys. I'm taking you to the promised land. I'm going to lead you through the desert. I'm going to provide you with homes to live in that you didn't build. You're going to harvest from fields that you never planted. You guys are going to be blessed more than you can even imagine. And so he does that, all the signs and wonders that lead them out of Egypt. And then as they're out there into the desert, I love this too, like they leave with the wealth of Egypt. The Egyptians are so glad that they're leaving that they just give them all their gold and silver as a parting gift. And it says that they were actually paid for the 400 years of back wages they never got for being slaves. So it's incredible what it is that God does. And then as they get out into the desert, God gives them the commands. He says, you guys are my people. I'm going to be your God. And here's the way that I'm calling you to live as I lead you into this promised land, this land flowing with milk and honey, a land that you can't get yourself into on your own, something that you have to rely on me for. And he says this, he says that the first 10% of all of your increase, the first 10% of everything that I give to you, I'm claiming that for myself. And he says, I want you to bring that into the house of God and that's the tithe, and it's going to be used to uh, support the priest, it's going to be used to support the ministry, and it's also going to be used to care for the needy that are amongst you. And this is the question, is like, God, 
if you want me to give back 10%, why didn't you just give me 90% to begin with? Uh, and that was one of the things I wondered as a kid. Like, God, why, if you want me, it's, it's a crazy thing. Imagine if someone gave you money and said, okay, I'm going to give you $10, all right. Now, can you give me a dollar back? And you're like, why didn't you just give me $9? This is kind of an odd request. But God has a reason for doing this. He's very purposeful about everything that he does. See, God doesn't need our money. We talked about that a little bit last week. God's the one who created all of the gold and the silver that there is in the world. He doesn't need our money. He speaks everything into being. But he asks us to give 10% of everything back. And the reason for that is God doesn't really need 10% of our money. But what he wants is 100% of our hearts. And so the reason that he asks us to give money back to him is because he knows that if we're willing to give our money to the Lord, then he has our hearts. Because our hearts are connected to our money. Now, if you asked me, said, hey, if God gave us this command, let's just imagine this. He says, I want you guys to give me a tenth of all of the leaves that you rake up from your yard every fall. You'd be like, I've been wanting to do something with those anyways. Like, that's great, God. Nobody would refuse him that because it's not something that's important to you. Your heart is not attached to the leaves that are in your yard. But our hearts are attached to our money. And that's why, that's one of the things, like, what, God, 10%? Are you kidding me? Like, that's so much. It's because our heart's attached to it. And you only put money into things that your heart is attached to. And that's why God says, I want you to tithe. And here's the reality of it, is that, number two, tithing is a test of our heart. And every time that we get our paycheck, we take the test of who we're going to worship, who it is that we're going to thank for what we've received, and who it is that we're going to trust with our future provision. See, the principle behind the tithe is this. You and I, we're a people that are on a journey. Every single one of us. Just like Jacob and God leading him into miraculous provision and a miraculous call and destiny on his life. Just like the nation of Israel, how God had a call on them to go into something greater than what they could ever do on their own and they had to rely on God's miraculous provision for their life. That same call is on us. God's called every one of us to do things that we have no right being able to do. God's called every one of us to trust him to provide us with the resources that we need so that we can do the things that he's put on our heart for his kingdom. Every single one of us. And what God does is he says, I'm going to give you some provision, but to make sure that your heart always remains attached to me and not the gift, I'm going to ask you to give some of that back to show where your heart really is. And in doing that, it's also going to show who it is that you trust. Are you going to trust in yourself? Are you going to trust in what it is that you have? Or are you going to continue to trust in me and in my provision for you? See, there are two things that tithing combats inside of our life. And the first is the love of money. I mean, we love money. There's no doubt about that. If, I've never met someone that's like, oh, no, I, I, I hate this money. Will you please just take it from me? I'm like, okay, I'll take your money. If you hate it, I'll definitely take it. I mean, there's not a single person that doesn't wish they had more money, that doesn't care about what their money's being used for. And it's really easy to fall in love with the gift God has given us more than we love him. I see this all the time with my kids. What happens is I'll buy them ice cream. Okay, they don't buy the ice cream. I did. They don't have any money. They're three in one. They don't have anything. So I use my money to buy them the ice cream. I hand it to them. I give them the ice cream. They start eating. I'm like, hey, can I have a little taste of that? And they're like, oh, it's mine. 
I just wanted, I bought this whole thing for you. I handed it to you. What makes you think this is yours? And they're like, no, daddy. And my little girl, Brielle, she's learning how to talk more. And so I'm like, hey, Brielle, can I have some? She's like, no, Brielle's. I'm like, what are you talking about? Just give me a little bite of this. And they start screaming and crying. You know what I've discovered? They love what it is that I give them more than they love me. But we do the same thing to God. We say, God, I love what it is that you've given me more than I love you. And he's like, hey, can I have a tenth of that back? We're like, mine! This is Jeremy's. You can't have it. I earned this. And God's just looking at me as the father, like, what are you talking about? You, you can't even make the hair that's falling off of your head grow back. And you think somehow that you earned this? Amen. Like, who do you think you are? But that's the human nature. And when we say, God, like, I'm going to give some of this back to you now. It's like, oh, eh. Have you guys ever had that moment when the offering goes by and you're like, eh, you don't need to do it? No. Oh, gosh, it hurts. It's like ripping off the bandy. Just do it fast. Just throw it in there. I'm getting way off track. But that's what it is because our heart's attached to it and we love the money. And by constantly making it so we recognize, God, you gave this to me and I'm giving that first 10% back to you every single time, it makes it so that you don't love money as much and your heart isn't attached to that. It says, God, I love you even more than the gifts that you've given me. And the second thing that it does is it breaks self-reliance inside of us. Here's what happens. This is the natural way that the human heart works. God gives you a vision. He puts a calling on you. He puts a dream inside of your heart. And you tie into that. You're like, yes, Lord, this is awesome. And you realize this is way beyond your control, that you can't do this. You see how big the needs are in your life for provision to be able to do this? Then you start getting some resources. You're like, I, I got to hold on to this because, you know, I got to make sure that I can do this thing that God's called me to. And so I need to save it. I need to save it. I can't give it back to God because, God, I, I don't have enough money to do the things that you've called me to. And what that self-reliance does in us, and this is what's so damaging to our lives as Christians, is it causes us to dumb down and to limit the vision that God's given us. You start looking at the finances that you have and you say, I can't do this thing that God's called me to do, so I've got to kind of pare it down. I've got to figure out what it is that I can do based on the resources that I have right now. And by doing that, we completely limit and we walk away from the destiny and the great things that God has called us to because we become reliant upon ourselves and what it is that we have instead of relying on God and his miraculous provision for us. And this is what it does. It makes us place our faith in ourselves instead of our faith in God and his provision. Let me ask you something. Everything that we receive from God, how do we receive it? It's by faith. How did you receive salvation? Did you earn it? Did you achieve it? Did you do the right thing somehow? No, it was completely by faith that you received it. How do you receive freedom? How do you receive healing? All of these things, you receive them by faith. How did we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit? We asked, and by faith we received him. And it's the same way for the provision. We receive it by faith. And when we tithe and we say, God, that first tenth that you've asked me for, I'm going to give that back to you, saying that I trust that you are going to bring about the fullness of the provision inside of my life. You know why God asked for the first 10%? It's because that's the one that you need the most. 
Now, at this time, people weren't getting you know, direct deposits inside of their checking accounts and savings account from their employers. They were raising uh, livestock. They were planting crops. And as a goat person in my past, I understand the importance of the firstborn animal. Because I remember my parents gave me a goat. I was pretty excited about this. Cleaned out the barn for a long time to get my first goat. I'm like, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to have this doe, and next year she'll have two babies, and then I'm going to keep them both. Hopefully they're both does. And then they're going to have two more babies each. The next year, then I'll have four goats, and they're each going to have two babies every year, giving me eight goats, and I can sell those every year and get about $4,000. I'm going to live off of this. Now, as a kid, I was like, $4,000, this is insane. So you know what the most important goat is to me? That firstborn. That's the one I need the most to get where it is that I want to go. If you're a farmer, and these people this time, they're substance farmers. And so when God says, I want you to give me the first 10% of the crop that you harvest, you don't know that you're going to get any more crop than that. You're saying, God, I'm going to have to put my trust in you just to be able to eat because I don't know what the rest of the crop is, how it's going to turn out. So when we give God the first 10%, it's an act of faith. It's an act of trust in saying, God, I am putting myself completely and fully at your mercy and putting my trust in you that you are going to be my provision. And you're releasing yourself from having to be your own provider and saying, God, you are the one who's going to have to provide for me. And let me tell you, that is a weight off. It's hard to give that first 10%, but when you do that, understanding and knowing that God now is going to come in and to be the one who provides for you, what a relief. So if we look at Jacob and the nation of Israel, what is it that they could have done to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise for them? Nothing. They had to completely rely on God for all of these things. And they said, God, I trust you. You've given me a promise that I can't achieve on my own. It's going to require more provision than I could ever procure for myself. But I'm going to move forward in faith. I'm going to give you that first tenth that you've asked for as a way to worship you, as a way to thank you for what it is that you've given me, and most importantly, as a way of saying, I put my trust and my faith in you for continued provision. And as long as your heart is right, you walk in the blessing of the promises of God. But when your heart isn't right, when you fail the test of your heart with the tithe, then something else completely different happens. God's blessing is removed from you. And this is what happens to the nation of Israel. They start out doing all right, but it doesn't take them long before their hearts become more in love with the provision that God's given them than in God himself. It doesn't take them long before they start saying, I have to rely on myself to be my own provider instead of relying on God. And they find themselves in a very tough time economically. The nation is in ruins, and the crops are failing, the harvest is just terrible. And so they come to God, and they're saying, God, what on earth is going on? I thought we were your chosen people. I thought we were special. I thought that you were going to be our provision. This is supposed to be a land flowing with milk and honey. Where are you? And God answers them in Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 through 9. He addresses them in response to their question, he says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. And this is important. He says, I don't change. God's love for you doesn't change. His mercy, his grace for you, those things don't change. His commands for us, they do not change. And he's saying this, it's good for you that I don't change because if it wasn't for that, you guys would have been destroyed already. <laughs> but I love you so much and my love for you is never going to change that I'm not going to let you be destroyed. 
And then he goes on to say this, From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. And they've got to be thinking, return to you? What does that mean? See, what's happened is there's been a relational disconnect between God and his people. They aren't walking with that same intimacy and closeness that they were supposed to. They have walked away from God by disobeying the statutes and the commands that he's given them. And then they goes on to say, they respond to him and say, how shall we return? Like, what is it that we need to do to get right with you again, God? And God says this. He asks a rhetorical question first. Will man rob God? I mean, who's going to say, yeah, I'm going to rob God? Nobody would. And then he says, yet you are robbing me. And they say, how have we robbed you? And God says, in your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Now that's a, that's a heavy verse. And this isn't me making stuff up and saying things or trying to manipulate. I'm just telling you, the people of Israel ask God, why is it that we aren't walking in the blessing and the provision that you said that you were going to provide for us? Why is it that we're relationally distant from you? And this is God's response. He doesn't say you guys need to, you're drinking too much or you're smoking or chewing or you know, all of these other things. The reason that God says that they're actually living under a curse is because they've been robbing him by not giving him what he's commanded. Like I said, that's why we went back to the law, because God said, the first tenth of everything belongs to me. So when you don't give God the tithe, God says, you're robbing from me. And when that happens, when your heart isn't right, and you don't tithe, you're robbing God, and it causes a breakdown of your relationship with him, you won't experience the closeness with him like you would want to. I mean, imagine if, you're, if you had kids, if your kids are stealing from you, is that going to affect your relationship with them? Does it affect your love for them? No. You still love your children. And that's why God says, I don't change. Amen. I love you. I'm still your God. You're still my people. And for us now, in this context, you're still saved. You're still a Christian. God's love and mercy is there for you. But he's saying that you're not going to walk with the fullness of my blessing. And you're not going to experience the relationship with me that you were created to have because you're walking outside of my will. And now you're under a curse. And here's the thing, like, don't get too freaked out about the idea of the curse. You guys understand, you were born into a world that is cursed. The economic system that we operate in, just the way the world is around us, it's a cursed world. And when we bring ourselves into alignment with God's commands and his will, it says that there's a supernatural blessing that comes over us. So when we give like God's commanded us to, it says that there's blessing for us. When we don't, that blessing is lifted from us, and now we operate like everybody else in a cursed world with a cursed system. And he says, uh, you know, this is happening because of the condition of your heart. Because the tithe is a test of our heart. Who are we going to honor? Who are we going to worship? Who are we going to thank and who are we going to trust? That first 10% of everything we have says that. But then here's one more thing about tithing. Is number three, tithing is a test of God's faithfulness. And this is what's really good. God continues. He doesn't just leave it there. He gives them a way to return back to him. In Malachi 3, 10 through 12, he says, Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house, 
and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. See, everywhere else in the Bible, God's saying, don't test me. Have you ever said that to your kids? Don't test me. You're not going to like what happens. Don't test me in this. But this is the one place where God says, I want you to test me. I want you to put me to the test. And the reason for that is because God's will and his desire for you is to pour out his blessing on you. He wants to be the God that is your provider. But you cannot receive God's provision until you, by faith, decide to put him into the seat of being your provider. And God says, this is the way that you come back to me. He's not trying to bring them condemnation. He's not trying to bring them shame. He's not trying to guilt them. He's saying, I want you to return to me. I don't want you to keep living the way that it is that you're living now. Because there's a call on your life. You are my chosen people. You are a nation of priests. You are the ones who are supposed to bless every other family in this entire world. You are the ones who are supposed to walk with an intimate relationship with me. You are the ones who aren't supposed to be concerned about the material things of the world, but are supposed to have a trust and a deep connection to me. He says, I want you to return to me. And if you don't think that I'm able to be your provider, if you don't think that I'm able to give you everything that you need, then put me to this test and see what happens. See, there are three reasons why I think people don't tithe. Number one, they don't know about it. You'd be amazed at how many people, because like me, you grow up and you don't really understand what's going on. So many people don't know what the tithe is. They don't know what's the first 10% that God's called us to give into his storehouses. And so when they hear that, they're like, oh man, I want to come into conformity with God's will. I want to receive the blessing. And then there's two people, and they, uh, the second type is they just honestly don't value the obedience to God part of it. And I don't think that's many people. And then third, and this is where I think most people are, is they just think they can't afford it. Because you look at your budget and you say, where on earth am I supposed to come up with an available 10% to be able to give to God? And this is why God says, put me to the test and see what happens. And you will be amazed by the blessing that I pour out on you. He says he's going to make it so that there is no more need. He doesn't say I'm going to make it so that you have your dream car. He says I'm going to make it so that there's no more need. When Israel was walking through the desert for 40 years, it says that their, their uh, robes never wore out, wearing the same clothes for 40 years in the desert, and they never wore out. They never had need for food or water. For a group of 2 million people walking through the desert, God miraculously always made sure that they had food and that they had water. And it says that the straps on their sandals never broke. You guys ever worn sandals and the strap broke and you're trying to walk around like that? Imagine doing that for 40 years. God does a miraculous thing in keeping their sandals from breaking. That might not seem like much, but when you're walking around in sandals for 40 years, that's a blessing. It says that God's going to make sure that when you honor him and put him first in the tithe, that he's going to pour out blessing on you. And when Anna and I got married, we were in that place of where it's like, where am I supposed to come up with an extra 10% to be able to give towards God? Because at that time, I made a grand total of $25 a week as a full-time worship leader at a church plant. And that was supposed to just cover my gas, and it didn't even cover my gas. You know, I was losing money at my full-time job. And I'm like, you know, well, God, I'm already doing something for you. Isn't that good enough? But I really felt convicted. Like, you know what? We need to make sure that we together as a family, because of the calling that God's put on us, 
because of our love for him, because we want to walk in his blessing, because we want to have that intimate relationship with him, and because we want him to be our provider, we're going to make sure that we tithe. And that was the first thing that we did as a married couple, and it's something that we've continued to do. And let me tell you, God has been faithful, and he has rebuked the devourer. And you guys might be thinking, what on earth is a devourer? When it's talking about devourer, that actually means locust. Uh, you might think, well, I don't have a locust problem, so I'm okay there. Well, the way the locust worked is this, and this is the principle behind the locust. You would have a crop, and it would be beginning to grow, and you think, this is going to be good. Like, this year, it's finally going to work out for me. And you don't see any locust. Everything's looking all clear. But what hap- what's happened is that the locust eggs are in the ground, and the hatch is triggered by the rains. So you need rain for your crop to grow. The crop's growing, and you're looking great. The rain comes, that's even better. And then the locusts come out, and they devour your crop. You're like, okay. And then the next year, you're like, okay, this is the year. You plant your crop, and you're waiting. Everything's looking good. And then the locusts come out again when it rains. And this just keeps happening over and over. That happens to us. A lot of times we're like, God, I can't afford to give you the first tenth of my, my income because, I mean, I got to hold on to it. The locusts keep coming and eating everything I have. I can't afford to give to you. But this is what God says. The reason that those locusts keep coming up and bringing destruction to you is because I'm not supernaturally holding them back on your behalf. And that's the hardest part for us, is making that step of faith, making that trust movement, where we say, God, I don't have everything that I need right now, and I certainly don't have enough to do what it is that you've called me to do. But you told me to put you to the test and to honor you with the tithe. And so by faith, I'm going to give to you knowing that you are faithful and that you're going to be my provision. Let me tell you, Ann and I have seen that over and over again and again. I mean, the craziest thing we've ever done is move over here to start this church. Oh my goodness. Let me, let me tell you about having a vision and a promise that God's given you that you have no way to make happen on your own. We moved over here, it's like, we need a house. We didn't have a house. We needed a core team of people to come alongside us and help to, you know, develop the church and do teams. We needed people to actually show up at church. We didn't even know how to do that. And we needed a place to meet. Uh, here we are. I never thought we'd be meeting at the Rave Theater. But God provided for us. And we needed money. It turns out that buying lights and speakers and signs and coffee tables and stuff like that takes money. And the temptation for us was, hey, we're going to start a church, so let's just save all the money ourselves because it's going to go towards ministry anyways. But we felt convicted, like, no, we're going to continue to give to the church that we go to, and we're just going to trust that God is going to bring the the provision of what we need for the ministry he's called us to later. And so, you know, we're, we're trying to save up for the church, but we're still writing a check to another church every week. But God provided. I mean, it's unbelievable how he did this. And this is what I've discovered. There are two types of testimonies that I hear again and again amongst believers. For those of you that do tithe, you know this. You're blessed. I have never met a single tither that was like, everything just fell apart. I had to stop tithing because God didn't show up. He wasn't faithful. I mean, I hear stories about people like getting checks in the mail and bonuses from work they had no idea were coming, bank errors in their favor, new job. I mean, it's, like, it's incredible to see the way that God just continues to provide for his people because it's what he wants to do. And then the people that don't tithe, they're always telling me, it's like everything's falling apart. They, they keep having to deal with this financially. They're struggling and everything else. But Ann and I discovered that the only way we could ever afford to tithe was by starting to tithe. 
And then God came in, and it says that he poured out more blessing on us than we could contain. He made it so there was no more need for us, and he rebuked the devourer on our behalf. We have two cars. One has 207,000 miles on it. One has 163. You guys might be thinking, what on earth are you doing? This is like the sandals miracle in the desert. Our cars just keep going. We're blessed by God. We don't have need. God meets all of our needs. And for the fulfillment of the vision that he's called us to as a church, it's more than any of us have right now. We can't do this on our own. But we're going to put our faith and our trust in God. And so here's the thing. I don't want you guys to feel condemned. If you aren't a tither, you need to remember, God says, I don't change. I still love you. I still care for you. I'm still your God. You are still Christians. But you also need to understand that you're not going to walk with that full blessing on your life. And that's why I teach this. This is a hard message to teach. Because a lot of people might feel offended by it, think that the church is after my money. If you really feel like I'm just trying to get your money, then I encourage you, put God to the test. You can even go to another church and do that if you think that I'm just trying to get it. Go to another church and tie there and see what it is that God does inside of your life. Because I'm not doing this to try to bring us increase. We are a blessed church. The elders weren't like, hey, budget's running short. Get up here and teach on giving. That's not what it is. We're great. We gave 30% of everything away to missions overseas last year, not just talking about what we're doing right here in our own community. God has been faithful to us. But I say this because I want God's best for your life. And maybe you were like me and you never knew what it was that God called you to do. Or maybe it's that you have the heart for it, but you just feel like you can't trust God yet. Then I encourage you this morning, put your faith in what it is that God's called you to do. He's a God who provided your salvation. He's a God that provided your freedom. He's a God that gives you hope, peace, and joy. And he's the God that will bring you blessing and make sure that you don't have any need as soon as you make that step to trust him. Would you guys stand with me this morning? We're just going to pray. Let's just take a moment to ask God to speak to us. I know I've said a lot of things today, but one word from God is much more powerful than a million words from any man. So God, would you come and would you speak to our hearts this morning? I encourage you to ask God this. If tithing is a test of the heart, then where is your heart? And if tithing is a test of God's faithfulness, then do you really believe him to be faithful? God, we know that there's a miraculous call on every life. And just like Jacob, you've called us and you've given promises and dreams for things that are beyond what we can do. And God, I ask for faith to be stirred up in the, our hearts this morning. Not to lose sight of who you are and what it is that you've done for us, but God, to be thankful, to be joyful for what you've done for us and to be able to generously and freely and joyfully give back to you. God, we pray for relationship with you to be restored. And God, we pray that trust and faith would arise inside of our hearts to believe you to be the God who's able to be our provision. 
And Father, this morning I pray for courage in our hearts that we would truly return to you and that we would see just how good of a God you are, just how faithful you are. God, we don't want to be continuing to live as a people in need like in Malachi that found themselves. But God, we want to see your miraculous provision for us. We want to see you move on our behalf, pour out the storehouses of heaven, rebuke the devourer on our behalf, Jesus, so that we can live in the fullness of all that you've called us to, having your best for our lives. And Jesus, that we would be able to worship you, and that we would be able to give you thanks, and we'd be able to put our trust in you through the tithe. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.